Mac Power Users, Episode 180, MPU Live for March 1st, 2014. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm good. So welcome to the inaugural episode of MPU Live. Almost. Yeah, almost. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the idea of the show is we've got all this great listener feedback, and we want to do a monthly show where we're going to bring all that together. We're going to include some audio questions and comments from listeners, which you're going to hear pretty soon. And we also wanted to do it live with the chat room, because I think that's a lot of fun. But we had some chat room problems, so we didn't get to do the chat room part for this this recording. But by next month, we're going to have all those things figured out, and we apologize to those people who showed up. Uh, I promise next month we will have that working. But either way, this is our first live show, and I think it's going to be some fun. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who sent in your audio comments. We're going to use just a few of them in this episode, and we'll use hopefully some more in the next episode. So please feel free to keep those coming in. Uh, you can send those audio comments into feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, um, and we'll work them into the show kind of as they, as they fit in the outline. Uh, before we get in the show, though, we've got um, – We've got some announcements because we got Macworld coming up between now and our next live show. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, so Macworld is at the end of this month, and we've got a bunch of things going on. So just kicking off and running through the agenda very quickly. Uh, Thursday, uh, Dave and I are going to be at the Drobo booth at 1 p.m. Um, and the thing I'm looking most forward to of Macworld is we are doing our MPU workflow session at 3 p.m. as part of the conference track. And that's going to be kind of like the best Mac Power users workflows, um, our all-time favorite. It's It's going to be 40 minutes, boom, 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 boom. These are these are our favorite workflows, and that's a show I've been wanting to do for a while. I think you missed a couple of booms there, actually. There's, there's multiple okay. booms. There are multiple booms. Yes. That night, also, I'm going to be doing something. They have um, a special session at 5 o'clock that's kind of like rapid fire, so everybody gets five minutes to talk, and Dan Morin hosts it, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be talking about OPML. So there'll be a bunch of speakers that get up and they'll have five minutes. I'm going to be doing one of those five-minute sessions that night. And then on Friday, uh, I'll be giving my paperless session at 2. We're going to be on the Mac Roundtable at 1130 on the show floor. Um, I think it's actually on the second level is the Mac Roundtable. Stay tuned for details. Yeah, it's not on the actual um, uh, floor where the exhibitors are. It's, It's in a special kind of area, I think, on the second floor. And then on Saturday, Katie's giving her session at 11. So there's just going to be a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Now's the time to get your tickets. Both Katie and I have links on our websites that get you $100 off a conference pass. So instead of $250, you're going to end for $150. So go get that. They expire, I believe, on March 14th is when those expire. So go get them. Yeah, and there'll be a link in the show notes to to at least one of those sites with with the proper links. Yeah. Okay, Katie, let's start getting through some of this feedback. Yeah, we got a lot of it. Um, we got a lot of feedback about the one password show that we did a long while ago and a lot of feedback just in general about security. And we talked about the concept of vaults and vaults is a new concept in, in one password version four. And I'll tell you, it's not really a feature that I have used very often. It's, um, I think it's more designed for multiple users who are using a same account so that everybody can have their own personal vault. But Mike, and I, and I think I expressed that on the show is that I was kind of struggling a little bit with how to use vaults. 
But Michael wrote in um, with an alternative use for 1Password Vault, and, and I thought it was kind of brilliant. So uh, Michael said that he is also having trouble trying to figure out how to make use of the new Vault feature. Um, and, but he has found that we all have these 1Password entries that either expire from time to time or just kind of the nature of things that we don't use them anymore. Perhaps these are websites that we no longer get into. Um, so 1Password will save all of these sites, and your 1Password database can get quite big. And so Michael said he's been hesitant to delete them, knowing that, well, you know, maybe you need these later. So he takes all of these entries that he hasn't used in ages, and he marks them with a tag of archive. And then once per year, and with a little nod to you, David, he says maybe when the clocks change, he moves all the archive items to an archive vault that he has created. And that basically takes them out of his one main 1Password database, and they are now in limbo. And he can, you know, log into that archive vault if he needs them, but they're no longer in his main database. So that made a lot of sense to me. You know what I need to do in 1Password is go through and really kind of do an audit of it. I know there's a bunch of, of junk in there from years past that I don't use, websites I don't access anymore. I really could stand to archive a vault. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, probably. It's good, it's, it's good for sharing, too, the, the vault feature. I think it's something that, like, when you've got you want to share things with someone. I think that's a, it's a pretty good idea. So it's an interesting feature and, uh, I do like hearing how people are, are using it. So thanks Michael for sending that in. Yeah. We also heard from Timothy about, uh, one password and talked about making sure that others know your password. And we've kind of gone back and forth on this in the past, but you know, what if I walk out of this, you know, this show after having an, a really happy day talking to Katie about Mac stuff, and a bus runs me over. You know, is my wife going to be able to get all that important information that is in one password? Or what if I just get sick and they can't talk to me or whatever? Um, well, and it's really not just one password. I mean, this applies to any password management system, whether you use one password or LastPass or even, you know, Shutter. If you don't use a password management system, there are certain passwords and certain access that people need to be able to know how to get to. Yeah. Uh, in my case, it really is one password. If if she has one password, she can kind of get into everything. Um, so the way I've dealt with that, um, and we we've, we've talked about this in the past, and the productivityist, and we've linked to this in the past. Also, Mike Vardy made a nice kind of one password emergency kit, which is kind of a thing. It's like a PDF, and you can fill it out and put it in a safe place. One of the things I did though was in my wife's one password database, I put my one password password. Is that, that too insecure, sense. you think? I don't know. But <laughs> but the um she's got it in there, but we've also got it written down. You know, I, I guess you should give some thought to that is the only point that Timothy was making. If you have a lot of information in there and nobody else can get to it, what happens when something happens to you? So give some thought to that. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple of people comment after the show, and you know, we mentioned that we personally use One Password, but I did talk a, a bit about LastPass, and I think it's an excellent solution for many people. But I said that I didn't like it as a solution for me because LastPass was entirely web-based, and um, Rob wrote in and said, you know, if you don't like LastPass because it's web-based, you probably shouldn't sync One Password via Dropbox or iCloud either because they are also on the web. And I, you know, Rob wrote in and said that, but I also got similar similar tweets and things from other people too. And I, I wanted to point this out. And, you know, yes, it's true that when you store your 1Password data file on an online service like iCloud or like Dropbox, that 
information is still protected in its own one password encryption. Um, you know, I've talked about how I keep my one password data file on a thumb drive. I actually don't have any encryption on that. The only encryption is the one password data file itself. So in this case, if you're syncing one password with Dropbox or with iCloud and someone compromises your Dropbox or someone compromises your iCloud, they still have to then get past the additional layer of security of your one of the one password encryption and the one password master password encryption. So to me, it's not the same. Um, it, it's almost like having an additional level of security that they have to get past not just one level, but two. And and so that's that's why I'm comfortable um, syncing that information with the cloud. That's That's why I'm comfortable actually storing it on that little flash drive without any encryption. But for people who aren't, um, you know, there are syncing options where you can sync either on your local Wi-Fi network or you can plug in and sync. Yeah. It's tough because we want you know, a password manager that can be with us everywhere and manage all our devices, but we also want it to be safe. So uh, I don't envy any of these guys making this password protection software because they have to walk that line every day. I mean, if you make an app that's absolutely secure, it's not going to sink anywhere, not going to help anybody out, you know, but, but there are ways to do, I think one password does a pretty good job of it. Um, We heard from Dave who talked about, uh, Offsite storage of backups, which kind of fits into this this whole topic, and he was talking about the solution he uses for offsite backup, which he admits isn't you know 100 fail proof. Is he does put his backup drive somewhere else in his house, and I don't think I ever mentioned that um, because I do I I like to use the offsite transporter to save a lot of my most important data to a relative. Um, but I do also, because I am anal retentive, I have extra hard drives and I do make backups and I do put them in other places in my house. Uh, not leaving your backup drive sitting next to your computer, I think makes it a lot less likely to be, you know, taken in the event of theft. Uh, uh, it doesn't make any difference if your house burns down because presumably the whole house is going to burn down. Um, you know, the, this is another thing where you can really go crazy and make a lot of backups. You know, you know, one thing I've been meaning to talk about on the show for some time in, in relation to backups, because we always talk about, you know, the super duper carbon copy cloner type whole disk backup. I haven't made much mention of Chronosync in years on the show. And someone yeah. recently wrote me about that. I use Chronosync all the time. Now, the way Chronosync works, it's not an application that's going to make a clone of your drive, but it's going to make copies of specific parts of your drives that you want it to. And it works really well. So as an example, if I've got this, um, this bunch of stuff on my Drobo, this is one example I use for Chronosync. And I want to back that up onto a big USB drive. I've got this really big USB drive. It's, it's slow as molasses because it's USB, but it works fine. And, and, uh, but I want to get the, the information onto that. I don't want to copy everything off my Drobo. I mean, there's one way I could do that and I could reformat it every month and copy everything from the Drobo onto the external USB drive. It's like a two terabyte drive. Um, but a better way to do that would be to run a chronosync script. And with chronosync, you can say, look at the movies folder and look at it on the Drobo drive as the source drive and look at it on the USB drive as the recipient drive and, and do a diff, you know, look at the difference between them 
And anything that is new on the Drobo move or copy over to the USB drive. So rather than have to copy all of my movies every month, it's just going to copy the new ones. And it does that all the way through. Chronosync can work in a way where it synchronizes them. So if I had made changes on the USB drive, it would pull those up. But the way I'm using it is it's it's a one direction. Well, my kids would like that one direction. It's a one direction move from the Drobo to the USB drive. So it's just saying, okay, anything new, move it over. And so it's constantly updating that data on that USB drive. It takes a fraction of the amount of time. So I've ran, I've set up several scripts um, using Chronosync. And one of the things I like about Chronosync is they have this lifetime license. When you buy it, they just keep updating it for you. Did you know about yeah, that? I do. I use, uh, and I'll tell you about how I use Chronosync in a few minutes, but it's been really nice. Yeah. Um, I do find that when I try and do the entire Drobo on one script, it sometimes runs into hiccups. So I've now broken it down to individual pieces like the media folder, which is the one that holds my book files and my audio and, and various things. I, I've broken like the Max Sparky field guide files. And so I've got different scripts that I run for different pieces of the drive, but it still is pretty awesome. And man, it's a good solution for what I call kind of partial backup. Well, and you can schedule things with Chronosync too. It's got an app that'll launch at uh, when you, at startup and run in the background, and just kind of wait. And you can tell it to schedule this tasks. And maybe you do, David. Maybe you say, "I want you to schedule this backup." You know, Wednesday at two a.m. when you're fairly confident that nobody's going to be, you know, be using the Drobo or be be using that USB drive, and it's not going to interfere with other stuff that you're doing on your network. The way I, I, I acknowledge that yeah, you can do that, I don't do it that way. Um, this is kind of going back to Dave's initial comment is I don't want to keep that USB drive right next to the Drobo. So I just have an OmniFocus task once a month that says backup Drobo. And then I plug it in and run those scripts. And I usually do it on a Saturday. And as I'm walking by, I'll run a c- couple different scripts as it's doing its thing. And usually within an hour or two, it's all done. And then I take unplug the drive and I go put it somewhere else. Yeah. I use Chronosync um, for something similar. Now, to back up my Drobo, since we're talking about backups a little bit, and since there's, you know, we have an outline, but really no set agenda for the beauty of this show. Um, I use Carbon Copy Cloner to back up my Drobo, and it it has a similar feature that it will, you know, just look at kind of what's changed on this particular drive and, and copy it over. But I use um, Chronosync more for specific files. So, for example, I have a directory at work that contains all of my files. And even though, um, you know, there's supposedly backups going on at work, I have a hard drive at the office and I will back up my directory to that hard drive, mm, you know, every, every couple, yeah, every couple of weeks, I think is I've got a chronosync and maybe it's every week, every week on a weekend, I've got a chronosync task set to, to automatically do that just so I know that it's there. I've got a chronosync, uh, script I run in relation to work stuff where I've got kind of an active folder where I want stuff to be um, copied for use on to Dropbox. Like when I'm going to, Oh, that makes good sense. Um, It's just one of those things in your tool belt. Once you realize it's there, you will find uses for it. And I don't think I'm not aware of any competing app. I think that's kind of like the one that you're going to get. If you're going to do that stuff, I wrote about Chronosync in Mac at work like five years ago. It's been around a long time. 
Yeah, and it still works. I, they they give it. Um, I mean, they get, they update it regularly. I still get maintenance updates for it pretty regularly. You know, we have we've done backup shows in the past. I we haven't done one in a long time, and I, I guess I really haven't felt it's been necessary because you know my backup method really hasn't changed. Um, I'll throw a link in the in the show notes to a blog post that I did. It, it was on World Backup Day. Uh, you know, because now we have days for everything apparently. Um, but I wrote a, a blog post commemorating uh, World Backup Day. I guess. And, um, you know, I, I kind of outlined my, my backup strategy, but I think in general, a backup strategy has to, has to have four things in, for me, at least it has to be automatic because to some degree, because I don't remember to run backups on a regular basis. And maybe automatic for you means OmniFocus and putting it in OmniFocus. Um, automatic for me means, you know, using something like CrashPlan or having that hard drive plugged in all of the time. Um, but if you're going to have that hard drive plugged in all the time, you got to remember that that's susceptible too. So, you know, rule number two of backups for me is it's got to be redundant. You know, one backup is not necessarily a backup, especially if that backup is plugged in to your computer. Because if a, you know, lightning strikes and it zaps all of your hardware, it's it's likely going to kill your computer and and kill that backup attached to it. And keep in mind, if a backup dies, you don't have a backup. You know, rule number three is a backup should be offsite. At least one copy of the backup should be offsite so that when the really, really bad things happen, um, that you've got that other copy to go to. Um, and they do need to be tested regularly. And I think that's the step that most people fall off of when it comes to backups is remember that backups fail. Um, these these are hard drives. And just like the hard drive in your Mac will fail at some point, and just like the, the hard drive in uh, your backup will fail at some point. And unfortunately, I've known a couple of people who were very, very diligently backing up, but they were unfortunately backing up to a hard drive that had some problems. And when their main drive in their Mac died and they went to get the information off their backup, it was no good. It was corrupted. And I mean, how devastating is that? Someone who was really trying to do everything the right way and find out they don't have a backup. It's a lot easier than it used to be. Maybe that's why we haven't done another show on it because these tools have developed a lot. But even the online stuff, like the crash plans and whatever you know, backup service you're going to use, the, those are relatively inexpensive. So you can have the belt and suspenders. There's a lot of ways to go about it. But uh, the point I wanted to make is, if you're not aware of Chronosync, you should probably go check it out because it there's a lot of uses for it, and I bet you'll find a couple too. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit. Uh, let, let's change gears. We've talked about backup. Let's change gears and, and talk about email. But uh, maybe before we do, can I talk to you a little bit about Pixelmator? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Um, so Pixelmator is our sponsor for this episode. And thanks to them for their continuing support of Mac Power users. Um, but I haven't talked about Pixelmator in a while. I know you've done the spots the last couple of spots, but I'm glad to be able to talk about Pixelmator because I have been using Pixelmator pretty heavily the last couple of months. Um, my grandparents are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary at the end of this month. Congratulations. And, That's pretty uh, cool. That is pretty cool. Um, but I'll tell you what, what has not been cool is we really wanted to do something special for their anniversary. And we have always had trouble finding photos for them. Uh, they just, they took photos, I guess, like everybody did, but they never, they never took a lot of photos and a lot of their photos they didn't take, you know, they weren't taken maybe with very good cameras. 
or and their photos were never put up in books and so they've got a few photos in frames places but you know when you when you ask my dad for pictures of his childhood or you know pictures of his sister's wedding or any of that kind of stuff it's really hard to come up with that and so finally we 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 came up with some photos but they had been you know stuck in shoe boxes and stuck in drawers and you know so they were folded and wrinkled and some of them had water damage and we got them but you know they weren't great but they were all we had so we sent them off to a scanning service and we got them scanned but what we really wanted to do is put together this photo book which are using iPhoto and we had to spend so much time um really retouching these photos and and trying to bring them back to life because they were all we had um and thankfully pixel made it to the rescue you know iphoto is great for some simple cropping and rotating but if you've got a photo that's got water damage or a photo that's completely faded out or maybe not you know pretty faded out um you're really going to need a photo editing tool like pixelmator and pixelmator can allow you to do things like color adjustments it can allow you to work with multiple editors. Um I can't tell you how many times I've taken one of those photos. You know how they'll get faded or all of a sudden the photo will turn very red. I don't yeah. know what that's called because some pigment has faded out of it. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean sometimes you you can just do what you can do, but Pixelmator has worked wonders being able to bring those those photos back. Um if you've got wrinkles or if you've got water damage in the photos, you can use the retouching tools with Pixelmator to try to smooth those out um and and to try to make them blend into the background of a photo or to maybe take the background from one section of a photo and copy it to another section of the photo so you can take a damaged portion of the photo and make it not be as noticeable and sometimes just you know adjusting the contrast and adjusting um the color of the photo to to make it a little sharper maybe because the camera wasn't quite in focus and it's you would just be amazed at how you know spending 5 to 10 minutes on a photo using a tool like Pixelmator can make a world of difference with this photo that you just thought was wasn't salvageable combined with some good cropping and you know tweaking all of a sudden i mean we we put together this beautiful photo book in iPhoto and we're we're getting ready to order it we're putting the final touches on it now so it'll be here in time for the end of the month and it absolutely would not have been possible without Pixelmator Um uh, you know previously you thought that you would have to use one of these high-end photo programs that would cost you um hundreds and hundreds of dollars or you'd have to pay a subscription fee to stick with them but the beauty about Pixelmator is it is a full-featured editing a photo editing application for the Mac and it's 30 bucks um and yeah. you know what no subscription no right. anything 30 bucks you're in yeah um you can pick it up in the Mac App Store which means it's going to work on all of your Macs and um you know all of the macs that are associated with your with your apple id and and then you're done and if you want to learn how to use pixelmator better and and i use this for some of the tutorials for figuring out how to retouch um some of these photos go to their website at pixelmator.com and check out the tutorial section because they've got dozens and dozens of tutorials and that section is growing every day um with different tutorials that you can use to do some really cool effects on photos like if you want to liquify somebody um we didn't do that with any of those photos although there were some people I wanted to liquify but um but if you pictures just, of me again Katie no it wasn't <laughs> these are pictures of family but um you can learn so much just by reviewing their tutorials and it's so easy so check out pixelmator you can go grab a download a demo from their website at pixelmator.com and when you're ready to buy uh send them a note or a tweet and let them know that you heard about them on Mac Power users Lately I've been obsessing over the Up movie, you know the Pixar movie Up. Did you ever see that? Yeah. So good, right? Carl and Elliot, Carl and Ellie, I mean. That's so going to awesome. be you when you're old. 
I hope so. I hope so. But they, uh, I found, I just shared this with my wife, actually, that some lady, her grandparents were celebrating their 61st uh, years of marriage, their 61st anniversary. And she did an up inspired photo shoot. I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, these, these lady, this lady and her husband anyway. Um, well, that's, that's really fun, Katie. You should put it also into like a photo magico presentation and give it at some family event. Yeah. That's the, that's the next thing we're, we're going to do as well. But again, had to tweak all the photos first. I do photo magico presentations whenever someone in my family has like an event or gets married. And every time the photographer asks me how I did it, like if there's like an official photographer, did you tell me of people for that? I did. I told them yeah. they can't afford me. Yeah. Um, so where were we? Oh, we were going to talk a little bit about some email. of the email feedback. We got quite a bit of it, you know, when I did the email. And thanks, everyone, for the support on the email book, by the way. It's been doing really good, and it's been on the top top 10 list, I think, pretty much since it, since it issued. Version 1.1 is out now, so that's kind of cool. Made some little changes. Not a whole lot of changes, but things are are happening. Uh, Lee wrote in about pop email and I was kind of dismissive of pop email when we did the show. Um, As I, was I. And, you know, I frankly still think I'm pretty dismissive of it, but he had an interesting use case for his parents. His parents are um, older and don't get a lot of email. So they share an email account. He keeps it on the server. So both dad and mom can pull down the email and, you know, one of them can organize it. Like dad, he said, just leaves them all in his inbox, like 10,000 unread emails, which is kind of awesome. And then mom is more structured. You know, she's like, like us nerds. She wants to, you know, put everything where it belongs. And so they use a pop account and he leaves it on the server. So when dad pulls down an email, it doesn't affect what mom does it when she pulls it down. I thought that was kind of an interesting use. I, I thought what you said, I think you wrote him back and said, well, why don't think it, you know, separate accounts. Yeah, because mom and dad are obviously very savvy. I mean, one of the things he mentioned in his in his letter is that mom and dad both have iPhones, and um, it seems like dad uses an iPad. And I I couldn't tell whether there was a Mac involved or not, but maybe there is. And you know, so I just wrote back and said, well, you know, if if they're both so sophisticated that they've got multiple devices that they're using, especially mom is is nerding out here with you know, organizing all of her email to make it just so, uh, why not have separate email accounts? You know, if they already have separate computers and iPhones, it it seemed to me like they, they might have some benefit from from syncing and some of the additional features that they would get from maybe an iCloud or a Gmail account would give them, you know, not only with email, but also to be able to send calendars and contacts and things like that. Um, you know, maybe it does make sense. Maybe this does make good sense for them because they, they don't get a lot of email and they can both handle it their way. Um, just, you know, keep in mind that when you store those messages on the pop server, that you're filling up that pop server. If they never get deleted from the pop server, you know, one day they're going to, because typically older accounts are the accounts that use pop. And typically those, those typically, those typically have pretty low storage limits. How many words times can I use the word typically in the sentence? Um, quite a few, a few apparently. So one day, if they don't start deleting some of those emails, they're going to, they're going to start getting mailbox full bounces. Just be wary of that. Well, Lee's email did get me thinking, well, when would you want to use a pop account? And I can only come up with a couple of uses. One would be if you're paranoid about security in the sense that you don't want your messages being left on an Internet server. Because, I mean, the okay. the original implementation of pop would be that 
you know, the message arrives. It's really like a postman. You know, he puts the message in your box and then it's no longer in his bag. You know, he goes on. Well, with the pop server, the same thing happens when it delivers the message off the server. If you don't leave it on the server like Lee is doing, it's off the server at that point and it's on your Mac. And that's where that email exists and nowhere else. So that's a little more secure, I guess, although it's an email. So it went through the whole system to get there to begin with. So people want to monitor that they would still be able to get it. But I guess you could say it's more secure because um, they couldn't get it. Like if you got my iCloud account and password, you could go onto the iCloud IMAP server now and just see all of my email Um, where you couldn't do that if it was a pop server and I'd pulled it all down to my Mac. So there's one reason. Um, I think it, it could make sense if you have really simple email needs that somebody with just one computer, no device, other devices, because you don't need to sync, which I don't know who that is anymore. Even, you know, grandparents are having multiple devices and, um, I'm still not a fan of pop. I, I just think the most common use of pop really isn't someone who chose to use it, but someone who got the email with their internet service provider and they just went ahead and kept it and they don't they probably are completely unaware that they have really old and kind of cruddy email technology working for them and and i've talked before about how i generally don't like people signing up with email with their email service provider because they it it in many way traps them with their email service provider I, i had this happen um you know with my assistant at the office she decided that she was getting rid of her landline And her email access was through the phone company and she was going to bundle and put her, um, you know, her internet with her cable company, which seems like a reasonable thing to do. But her, her primary personal email address was with, um, the phone company. And so she asked the cable company, you know, the cable company who's trying to upgrade her on service, of course, well, what about all my emails that are coming to my phone company internet account? And the cable company says, oh, no problem. You'll still be able to keep your phone company internet account and use our service. Period. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, well, yes, your email will work with your, you know, the internet's email will work with the, uh, the phone company's email will work with the uh, cable TV company's service. Assuming it but exists. But you, you got to keep paying for it. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, but the guy told me. And I'm like, the guy was trying to sell you something. But he yeah. said. And I was just like, oh. Oh, yeah. It's every time you deal with utilities like that, some, it, you just feel like at a certain level there's something going on. Well, and I want to be able to have the freedom to say goodbye to them at any point. Um, just by the way. I cut my cable again. I got fed up with them. Oh, they good lied for to you. Me. Good they for lied you. to me. And um, I know that's shocking. It, it felt to me wrong that you had it, gone back. Like you it, had, it, you kind of let us all down a little bit. And I, I felt like I had let you time, down. I did feel like I had let you down. But yes, it is gone. The antenna is back up. I relocated the antenna. I found a, a good spot for it that so far seems so good. So, Well, I, I had a long talk with my family about cutting the cable. And they all told me that very politely that they're happy to deal with the fact that I'm a geek and do a lot of weird things, but if I cut the cable, that I will be sleeping outside. So I decided not to. That's probably a smart move for you. The uh, With respect to this stuff, I think that it's so easy now to get an IMAP account. I mean, if you own any Apple device, and if you're listening to the show, there's a pretty good chance you do. Your, Apple's going to give you a free iCloud account, and that's a perfectly fine solution. 
Uh, you can go on Google, get a free Gmail account, which isn't IMAP, it's something else, but still that's a good email solution. There, there's plenty of stuff out there you can do. So try and get, try and get those family members on IMAP accounts. I remember once I, I knew a guy, a friend of mine in business who couldn't understand why when he dealt with an email on his Mac, it wouldn't fix it on his iPhone. And I, I explained to him my map and I set it up for him. And to this day, every time he sees me, he thanks me for that. It's like magic to him. Yeah. Let's talk about another piece of magic. And um, this is something that I don't know a great solution to. Maybe you do. And, and I'm going to throw it out to our listeners. But Javier wrote in and said, do you know of any Apple script that will look at mail.app and download any attachment from a specific sender and save it to a certain folder, such as the desktop? He said, also, for bonus points, I need the message to stay marked as unread. Now, I know conceptually how I would like to do this. I just haven't found an Apple script that will do it yet. So if anybody can find an Apple script that will do this, send it my way. But conceptually, how I would see this working is you would set up an email rule in the email client. I think it'd have to be a client-side rule because I don't think you can get this fancy with with server-based rules to say, you know, if this criteria is met, if you've got an email from this specific person um, and it has an attachment to run this Apple script and have the Apple script download the attachment, save it to wherever you want to save it, and then mark the messages unread. The piece of that that I'm missing is the Apple script. And well, if and any, it, go I ahead. think that's completely doable. I mean, I, took I think that it's got to be doable. Apple script and uh, Apple Mail is very scriptable, and that kind of stuff I'm sure can be done. Uh, to me, I'd have to like refigure it out every every time I get an Apple script. I feel like I have to relearn it. Uh, and you know, I can tell someone that it's possible. If you go out there, some really good Apple script forums out on the internet where there's a lot of people who write Apple script regularly. Um, we'll, we'll do that. Ben Waldy over at automated solutions.com. I believe that's his website. Is that right? Automated solutions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, he makes a living writing Apple scripts for people, you know, when you need something for your business or whatever, and he can make magic happen. Ben was on the show once and he, he actually wrote the automator plugins for Microsoft office. So the guy knows what he's doing. Um, but that what he's describing is perfectly doable. Uh, one other way to solve this is with some of these other services. Uh, you had oh. a good idea. Yeah, what, just to, it's it's actually automatedworkflows.com is is Ben Waldy's site. Thank, thanks for that clarification. So go yeah. check it out at Ben uh, at automatedworkflows.com. Dot com. Yeah, I put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had a couple of ideas for this, and, and none of these were perfect solutions, but they'll get you at least part of the way there, and then maybe you can go the rest of the way. If you use SaneBox, um, SaneBox has a function that will allow you to download attachments to a cloud service, such as Dropbox, yeah. and you could put those wherever you wanted to, and then you could either use Hazel or something else, or just even manually do what you wanted to with the attachments. That's a, That's kind of a cool feature of SaneBox, because... You know, your mailbox gets full and a lot of times most of the data, well, generally most of the data isn't the text that people write you. It's the big, you know, two and 10 megabyte attachments that come with all the emails. So you can have SaneBox put those off site for you, you know, save them elsewhere, which would be nice. And then you had another solution about having Hazel look at the uh, downloads folder. Yeah, which is really kind of jinky. But you know there there is a there is a downloads folder 
on the Mac that that looks for those attachments and you could have Hazel go in there and pull them down. I, I tried to make something work with it. I never really quite got it and frankly ran out of time, but I think there's, there's something to be done there. Although I, I think the cleanest solution would be an Apple script. Yeah. It's a, um, it's, it, it's a special downloads folder inside the library mail folder. So it's not the regular downloads folder. Obviously. Yes, correct. Um, so I don't know that we really gave Javier the answer he wants, but uh, there are ways to do it. It's just going to take a little work on your behalf. Anna wrote me, and this was one of my favorite emails. She said, isn't deferred email cheating? Because, <laughs> and I thought, you know, it kind of is. Um, so the uh, deferred email is the idea with some of these new services like Samebox or Mailbox or some of these other apps that essentially create additional folders for you and, and they're set sometime in a period, like on my SaneBox account, I have one called Saturday. And any email I put in there um, kind of just disappears from the system and then shows back up in my inbox or wherever it belongs on Saturday. And and I was really against these when they first started happening. I think Mailbox, the Mailbox app for iPhone, which primarily worked with Gmail at the beginning, but I believe now it supports IMAP, um, was the first time I'd seen this. I'm like, oh, that's cheating. I mean, you, when you get an email, you need to deal with it right there. You can't just say put it off until Saturday. But then when I started using it and with, with my volume of email, it actually makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of emails that come in. Maybe it's a listener question that I want to address, but it's not something I want to stop and create an OmniFocus task for because that comes with its own level of overhead. You know, once you create that, that's a task you need to manage where it's an email that I know I can deal with if I just have, you know, a couple minutes, but I don't have the couple minutes now and I put it into the Saturday box and it shows up. So to me, it feels like the middle ground between stuff that really needs official task management and stuff that I just don't have time for now. And in a couple of days I will. You, uh, have, I've used that. I so use that in Sanebox, yeah. Yeah, because I know that you're you're kind of you're kind of getting into Sanebox too now, Katie. Oh, uh, I love Sanebox. Now, are you using the deferred email? Yes, not as much as you are because it doesn't bother me as much. If it piles up in my Sane Later folder, it doesn't bother me. I will go in on Saturday and go through the Sane Later folder. What I'm using the deferred thing is for stuff that I really need to do, but I just don't need to do it today. Yeah. Or like for your work account, you could have one called Monday. And right. as you're on Friday, you could say, look, I'm not going to get to this today, but on Monday, I really want to think about this. And you put it in Monday and Monday, you don't see it all weekend. You don't think about it on Monday. You go in and there it is waiting for you. Yep. Uh, I use, uh, so what do I use for deferred boxes? I use um, on the Max Markey account. I have tomorrow. I have three days. I have Saturday and I have one week. That's crazy, isn't it? But you know what? I use all four of them. Do you, do you are you getting too many inboxes at this point? Are you using kind of smart boxes to to um to manage those? Well, not really, because with the deferred email, I don't see them anymore. Yeah. I mean, I went through. I mean, they're still I, there. I don't want to go through all that yeah. again, but I mean, I have a lot of a lot of different boxes I use to manage things. But and then he then he has a Katie Floyd box that's just like never. Next, that's that's a two week folder. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. One of the issues that we we are dealing with is that we we copy each other on a lot of email to listeners. So some of those emails aren't so important, and then we also send each other emails about you know kind of the business of this podcast, which are important. And and separating those two becomes an issue sometimes. Yeah. 
All right. Um, well, there's you can find out all a lot more about email by reading this book of this guy David Sparks wrote. It's yeah, pretty good, I hear. Go read it. Yeah, you can get it from iBooks. It's 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 okay. Thanks. That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> it's 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 excellent. It's life changing. We got a lot of feedback on the automation show. Um, I do want to talk about that, but before we do, I'd like to talk about a sponsor. And okay. that is OmniFocus. Uh, so, Katie, I've got this post written for Max Sparky. It'll probably go up this week if I get the guts to actually post it. It's it's called Too Busy. And I kind of went through this, I don't want to call it a depression, but just kind of like a downer for a couple months, like right after the holidays, where I just felt like every time I talked to somebody, they'd say, hey, how are things going? I'd say, oh, I'm so busy. And I kept hearing myself saying that over and over again. And I realized that, I didn't really like saying that, but I felt it, you know, you just kind of felt overwhelmed. And I realized I kind of stopped to think about why am I saying that? And what do I need to change to make sure that when I see somebody, the first thing I don't say about myself is that I'm too busy. And I realized that the issue is, uh, I was kind of falling off the wagon and hot me focus, you know, and I was collecting all these things I was going to do. And every day I was looking at this huge list and I felt like I wasn't making any progress on anything. And even though I, you know, I'm supposed to be the pro at this stuff, boy, I'm just as likely to fail at it as anybody else is. So I, I kind of really just kind of dove in again with OmniFocus uh, the last month or so. And I, I feel a lot more in control of my life. And and that's why I, I love this application OmniFocus so much, because it, it really does help you manage the chaos. And, you know, there's four things you need a task management application to do. The first thing is to collect tasks. I mean, when things come up, you need to be able to quickly capture them. And OmniFocus does that. On the Mac, you just put one keystroke in and you've added a task. On the iPhone or iPad, it's just one button in the app and you added a task. Or even you can just use OmniFocus. I'm sorry, you can use Siri. And we've talked about that in the past. I'm not going to go through the whole detail, but you can use Siri to add tasks to OmniFocus, which is really great. Um, the next thing you need once you've captured stuff, the next thing you need to do is process them. And OmniFocus is really great at that. It's got all those GTD hooks in it. So if you're into getting things done, it's, it really helps you out. But you don't you don't need to be. Those tools help you no matter what system you use. It's got context built right into your tasks. And it's got this great smart text recognition. So if I want to say... Um, something for Mac power users administration. I have an ongoing project called Mac power users admin because sometimes little things happen in relation to the show that I just need to be able to, to manage and I keep them in this ongoing project. Well, I don't need to tap Mac power users admin to get that to recognize that all I do is type MPUA and it recognizes that and puts it in the project for me, which makes it so much faster. And that, that stuff works on the iOS devices as well. Um, there's so many ways, other ways you can organize your projects though, by project, by start date, by flags. Uh, have you played with that random button on the iPhone, Katie? That scares me. Just I, whatever. I love it. Sometimes things I want to get to eventually, I want to read this book, but, and I definitely want to do it in the next three or four months, but it's not a big deal. I hit the little random button and it just disappears into the future sometime. I, I don't know. That makes me happy. Um, so you can process everything really well with OmniFocus. The next thing you want to do is review. And this is the part that everybody, I think, misses out on. And OmniFocus has just got unparalleled abilities to help you review your tasks. And when I went through my little you know, crisis... Uh, that was the first thing I did is I did a real thorough review of all my projects and I killed a bunch of them. You know, if you're too busy, maybe you need to be less busy. 
you know, make time for the stuff that's really important. So I went through and killed a bunch of stuff using the review process. Um, if, if you do that, that will really make you feel better and actually make you more productive. And the thing about OmniFocus is it brings so much to it. You can set very granular review times. You can make it so it automatically, you know, does it for you when you get to a certain number of days or months or whatever. And I, I've, actually uh, screencasted on this quite a bit, but if you're not using a review with your task management system, boy, really think about it. And OmniFocus gives you that in spades. Uh, and finally, you want to complete things and get things checked off. And of course, OmniFocus does that too. It's got location aware and all these great ways to help you get your tasks actually, actually checked off. So uh, for big boys and girls that have big boys and girls problems with task management, OmniFocus is really a great solution. I'd recommend going and watching the screencast I've done at maxsparky.com. I've got a ton of them there. Uh, the Omni Group also has screencasts on their website, including a few of mine. And they'll help you get started with it. And it's really just a great place to go. They've got versions for the Mac, the iPad, and the iPhone. Uh, they just did an update for the iPhone version. I, I know they've got stuff coming in the future, hopefully, for some of the other platforms. And go check out OmniFocus. If you're feeling a little bit of despair, maybe that's what you need because it, it sure helped me to kind of get myself pulled together. And now when I talk to people, I don't tell them how busy I am. Yeah. All right. So this is the part of the show where we asked you for your audio comments and your audio tips. And you wrote in and you sent them to us. And a lot of you sent them to us by writing and some of you sent them to us by audio. And uh, that's kind of cool. And so this is the part of the show where, where I spent hours figuring out, okay, well, how are we going to make this audio play in the show? So, David, this is this is the time where we see if it actually works when it's time to work. Yeah, the payoff. Let's see. Ma- ma- maybe I did something right. We couldn't get the live show working, but maybe I actually got the, this working. All right. Um, so our first audio comment is from Marcus. And you may remember Marcus was on one of our MPU live shows. And um, we talked to him about how he gets his work done and how he manages his task. But he had a lot of automation that he works on. And he sent us in a tip about how he automatically processes his files. So uh, let's hear from Marcus. Here we go. Hey, guys. It's Marcus here. I um, wanted to let you know about an automation that you haven't mentioned yet on your show, and I use it all the time. I set up a Apple script that will take every document from my files folder in my Dropbox and move it to my processing folder on my main Mac. And then I set it up in Lingon to run every minute. Now I'm out on my iOS device, my iPhone or my iPad, and I have a handwritten note that I've that I've done because I've seen a client or I have a document that I just scanned using Scan Plus or something like this, and I want to get it onto my main Mac. All I have to do is is uh, open that document in Dropbox and select my file folder um, folder and save it there. And within a minute, it moves off to my processor. My processor does its stuff, and sure enough, it shows up in my storage folder, uh, fully OCR and accessible to all of my team. So anyways, it's very simple. I use it all the time and I just love it. Hope you guys keep doing this live show and keep doing what you're doing. Take care. Bye. Well, that was well, cool. Yeah, that was it interesting. Worked. Yeah. Uh, using an Apple script as opposed to Hazel for file management. That's one of the things I took away from that. 
Yeah, but but basically what he's doing is he's he's being able to save these things on the go. Yeah. Just boom, 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 and he's got a Mac somewhere else that's taking care of this for him. Yeah. No, I think it's it's a good idea. The um what about uh using Hazel for file management though? How much of that do you do? I mean, we've talked plenty about using Hazel for kind of like a paperless document management. Um, but in terms of just file cleanup, do you use it much? I do. I I, I always want to find ways to use Hazel more. Yeah. Um, but I've got probably a couple dozen rules set up to use Hazel for different file management types. I mean, give yeah. me some examples of how you use Hazel for no, file I mean, management. Just like we've talked about on the show, like for instance, sweeping the desktop into the unclutter app or. Yeah. I think, um, and you wrote that up on Max Sparky, but I want to say that was my idea first, just so you know. Yeah, totally. I should have, did I, did I not give <laughs> no, you I'm just kidding. Line? I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that you can, you get hung up with Hazel in terms of, cause it's so powerful for document management, but it, it really is a file management tool at its most basic level. Like the way it imports files into Aperture or iPhoto is a great way to sweep things out of a Dropbox saved uh, photo into one of those applications. And I hadn't thought about using it by Dropbox or Automator, but I've, or excuse me, uh, with Automator and Lingon, but you certainly can. And I've had a lot of people who have written to me and, and said, I really want to use Hazel. I'd like to use Hazel. But for example, at the office, we have a lockdown system and I can't install anything that doesn't come you know, just straight with the OS. You can do a lot of this stuff with Apple Script and with Automator too. I mean, yeah. not not so much the monitoring that Hazel does, but you can set up um, a folder actions. I mean, that's that's all default built into the OS. And usually when people ask me about that, um, I send them back to the uh, the Automator show that we did a while ago. Yeah, and Automator we'll, has... We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And Automator does have actions to move files and rename files and do a lot of things that, that you typically use Hazel to do. So, yeah, it's out there. Uh, but speaking of Hazel, that leads to the next audio question from Walter. Why don't we listen to that? Need a minute? We don't have an audio question from Walter Jim. Oh, I thought he—I thought he—he he sent it into. Oh audio. yes, yes, we do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We do have an audio question. No, we don't. Okay, we do or that, we don't. That we don't. It's not an audio <laughs> okay. question. See, Walter, Walter wrote we'll, in. We'll be we'll be better about this uh, next show. <laughs> it's it's a work in I'm progress. I'm like, who, who is like, Walter? Like He's everything not on my in list. my life, <laughs> it's a work in progress. Um, so Walter wrote in and he asked, "Is there a Hazel rule to auto convert a Word document to a PDF?" And um, for some reason, I was thinking that he had actually submitted an audio question, but he didn't. Uh, but either way, uh, so. I looked into this, and yes, there is a way to do it. Um, there is an automator in action. If you have Microsoft Word installed, you know, you know, kind of going full circle. I talked about Ben Waldy earlier um, from Automated Workflows. Ben wrote those automator things for Microsoft, and one of them is convert a Word document to PDF. So there's an automator action for it. So you can build it in and. With respect to Walter's specific question was, how do you do this through Hazel? Well, you create a workflow in Automator and save it to your desktop or wherever. And then in Hazel, you've got the ability to run a workflow, an Automator workflow, as one of the consequences of, as of identifying a file. So if you had a folder and you said, if there's a document in there and it's got a green label or whatever, run this, this Automator workflow and it would convert it to PDF. Make sense? Yeah. I was just thinking about how you could do that with Keyboard Maestro, but I suppose you could do it with Automator as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was asking about Hazel. Uh, another thing is, 
if you're not aware of it, the save to PDF command is is something you can make a keyboard shortcut for. Yeah, that's what more what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and we've done that in the past. In fact, I included that in a couple of different books because it's just so useful and. I think it's one of the most frequently read posts in Max Barkey ever is when I, I did a little post on it years ago. Uh, so if you hit command P to open the print dialog box with just a little bit of work, you can make it so tapping the P a second time automatically saves the active window to PDF, which is really great. Yeah. I took that tip a step in a different direction and okay. I created a, a similar keyboard shortcut to save to Evernote. Oh yeah. Well, that would work too. Mm-hmm. So nice. Cause from that same drop down menu that you use in the print dialogue, you can save to, so you, I just took your post and I looked at it and I said, okay, well, what does this say? And I think I made it, um, you know, I, I used an E instead of a P or something like that. I mean, I, I know that it was easy for you cause you hit, just hit the P twice, but yeah. Yeah. And when you're doing those, just make sure you get the exact words of the command. Right. Uh, it has like to if be it's going to be save, save as PDF with an ellipses after it, you have to actually put an ellipses there. So, um, that's one. That you don't actually have to do the ellipses anymore. Um, if right. you do, if As you do the dot it, dot dot, yeah. it will it will pick it up because it got smarter. But you did used to have to do that, and you may still have to if you're on an older version of the OS. And I want to talk about that in a future show, being on older versions of OS, but not now. That'll go on a total tangent. All right. Um, now, what about Jim's uh, question? Yeah, Jim sent us a question, and uh, wish he'd sent it in by audio because I'm going to try to do this justice. But basically. Jim added a great Hazel workflow that he wanted to share with us. And he says that he is the unofficial official photographer for his church. And I'm sure many of you are kind of in that similar position for various organizations that you're in. And they recently had their Christmas banquet where he took a couple of hundred photos and then had to turn around and distribute them to each family or individual. So what he did is he made a Dropbox folder called Christmas Banquet. And then inside that folder, he made a folder for each family. So he took the photos for any given family from Aperture and put them into the particular folder in the Dropbox. And then he went into the terminal. Now, you wouldn't have to do this in the terminal, but he said he did. um, To touch, and that's a a command in the terminal, all of the folders to set the creation date or to set set the date as last touched as today. Um, You could also do that with Automator, but he used the terminal command. Um, And then he set each folder to a tag named 14 days. And I think that's so it will automatically expire. So what he does is he copies a rule, uh, copies the URL for the Dropbox share, and then um, he goes to prepare an email. So he uses Text Expander for this. So it says, Dear So and So, I've shared these files with you. They are uh, here. They are. You can be download them from this Dropbox link. Uh, please take what you want, but note that they'll be automatically removed after 14 days. Let me know if you have any problems or questions. And it's all a fill in snippet. Um, and then the fill in snippet for the Dropbox link is just whatever is copied to his clipboard. And then there's a Hazel rule that he has in his folder that will automatically take that folder. And if it hasn't been touched within 14 days or hasn't been modified within 14 days, um, he'll it will get rid of it. And, and we've talked about rules that Hazel will use for that. I, I use that whenever I'm sharing things in my public folder to automatically delete them. I don't give people 14 days. I give them seven. But get it out. I figured you'd give them like six hours because, man, you're not messing around. <laughs> download it and get it out. And then he said if he needed to extend somebody's time, because maybe he talked to them and they just hadn't gotten around to it yet, um, all he has to do is touch the folder again and it will reset the date. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of interesting things going on out there with Apple Script and just general management of fol- uh, folders using Dropbox. I think we may, um, 
like I had, I recently had lunch with John Thali, who's a, who teaches photography in a college and he uses some really cool stuff. Maybe we'll get him in here to talk about some of that. I, I, I like hearing about these workflows though. Okay. Um, we heard more on Hugh from Bruce, uh, cause I talked a little bit about Hugh in our automation show and he corrected me on two things that Hugh wanted- being the, the light bulbs. Yes. I'm sorry. We heard from Bruce on the Hugh light bulbs. Yes. Did you I didn't hear from correctly? Hugh about Bruce. Yeah. Did I say that? I thought you did, but maybe I wow. just heard that. <laughs> Not a good day for me, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so what Bruce said was uh, I had found the BR40s, the bigger can bulbs, uh, when I was prepping for the show on Amazon, but I didn't look at it close enough and they're not quite available yet. So sorry about that. But the smaller ones are, those are the ones I have. But they're, and, they're coming soon. Yeah, they are. And okay, the, cool. And then the uh, syncing between devices. Um, I, I didn't, I complained that, you know, you've got to reset it up on everyone. And of course, if I had just went and set up an account with them, it would sync. And I didn't realize that when we did the show. So sorry about that. Um, a little bit more feedback. There is an all off button. And now as I've got more of these in the house, we've got, we've got them in our kitchen and in the bedroom, uh, in the kitchen, I've got the smaller can light style, which is really cool. Cause we can kind of give it colors and things, but that all off button gets you in a lot of trouble. You know, because I, I, I would imagine it gets you in trouble with other people. Yeah. It's like, I guess I got used to using the all off button that they've got in the app in the bedroom. Cause at night I, I like to turn the lights down to a very warm light at night as I do some reading and then get ready to go to sleep and kind of go through my thing. Uh, speaking of which sleeping, uh, back to work did a really good thing on sleeping lately that I thought was kind of good. Uh, but anyway, uh, but then I would always hit the all off button the other night I did that and I heard someone downstairs go, Hey, <laughs> I turned off all the lights in the house. So if you're going to add more of them to your house, you have to get a little uh, more careful about how you set up those buttons. You know, you've, you've got me almost convinced you and Gabe Weatherhead and Dave Hamilton and all that uh, almost on the Sonos. I'm, I'm looking to invest in a Sonos system in a couple of months and now I'm moving that way towards the hue. Really? The Sonos Uh, are horrible. It's horrible. I mean, it's great, but I feel like we talk about Sonos too much on the show, so I don't want to like go down that road. But just like last night, me and my teenage daughter were here alone and cooking dinner together, and we had the Sonos playing, and we were taking turns playing songs from our our iPhones to it. It's really nice, you know. It is yeah. really nice. I mean, I guess we deserve it as, as much money as as we other people say we cost them on this show. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I was really pressured into it by a lot of listeners, and uh, and I don't regret it. So when you spend a lot of money and you don't regret it, that's usually a pretty good thing. Well, and I, I had one listener who just wrote me and said, you know, you say it's too expensive too often. Yeah, so, but that's you never, true. You, you never say that about Apple products. You never say, oh, well, that MacBook Air is too expensive. And he said, why don't you do that? He said, because you know that the Apple products are quality and you don't mind paying for that. And, you know, I really shouldn't say, oh, the Sonos is too expensive or, oh, the Hue is too expensive. You know, if everybody I know who has them, both the Sonos and the Hue, love them. And so they're probably not too expensive. Hey, you depends. know what? You're right. I'm not going to say that anymore because that's absolutely true. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, we did have a little feedback about the contact show that we did. Um, we talked about Cobook quite a bit. And we mentioned in the contact show that it was being acquired by Full Contact, which is the name of a uh, another service. 
And at the time that news, we, we recorded that show a little before it was released. And at the time that news that it was being acquired was still fairly fresh. And we, we mentioned it and we said we, we weren't quite sure what that was going to mean. But it, it looks like it's going to mean that the Cobook app is, is going to change kind of in what it's going to do. Well, it's not really clear. There's a uh, post on it at Full Contact. And I think they know they have something pretty special with this app. But at the same time, their whole model is cloud storage of contacts, which is entirely different from what I use Cobook for. And I've always been kind of resistant to putting all my contacts on the cloud. I don't know why I put so much other stuff on the cloud, but it's something I need to kind of wrap my head around. And I don't know what the pricing model is going to be. Uh, Andy sent in this link. So thank you, Andy, for sending the full contact uh, knowledge base article about the acquisition of Cobook. Uh, so just kind of keep your eyes open on that. I, I'm not sure where that's all heading, but I sure hope they keep it uh, in a lot of ways like it is now because it's quite useful to me as it is. Yeah. All right. Does that wrap up our automation? Yeah. Yeah, and, we, and we've got some more audio comments coming here. But before we do, I want to talk about our next sponsor, and it is a brand new sponsor that I'm so excited to tell you about, uh, and that is Tapes. And this is an app that we had the developer, who's a uh, listener in front of the show, who contacted us and said, hey, I've, I've got this new app. Do you think it might be of interest? And they sent it, and I took a look at it and was just absolutely blown away. So uh, tapes is the easiest way that you can use to record short screencasts on your Mac. And as you can imagine, being the tech support person for my family and being the tech support person for a lot of people that I know, and and even some of you write me in from time to time with, hey, can can you show me where the setting is? Or can you show me how you do that? Sometimes describing that type of stuff in, in, in text is difficult. And sometimes even a screenshot isn't enough. And so what you want to do is, is, you know, well, maybe if I just, just made a quick screen recording of this, I could send it to you. And, and David, how many times have you said that you tried to describe how to make an encrypted disk image and it took you like 23 pages and 47 screenshots, but you could do it in a 30 second screencast? I might be exaggerating. I think I've said that too many times. Yeah, but but something of that. But yeah. what if you could just capture a quick screencast up to 30 minutes, no frills, no fluff, just capture a portion of your screen and your voice at a time. And then as soon as you hit done, Tapes will copy that link to your clipboard and then you can share it with anybody you like. And so what happens is uh, these screencasts are securely uploaded to the tape servers and they're accessible only by the people that you share that user, that URL with. And they say they keep them indefinitely, but you can delete them at any time if you want. They've got an app that you can have set at launch, and so you can use a handy keyboard shortcut if you want to automatically start recording and to start stopping uh, to stop the recording. So whenever you feel like you just need to take a quick screencast to show somebody something, and, and wouldn't this be easier? If it just, let me show you how to go up to this menu and click, 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 and do this. Um, you can just hit a few keystrokes. The Tapes app will launch automatically. It will start taking your screencasts. And when you're done, that URL will be on your clipboard. It will even show you the recent tapes that you've you've made. Um, and you can send that link off via email, via IM, via Twitter, however you want. Uh, you can also use them uh, to keep those family tutorials that maybe people are going to reference. So you can just build your own little library there. Um, it's great for giving bug reports, reporting problems. Um, I use it all the time. And, and you know what? Here was one suggestion. You can use it to record your favorite keyboard maestro or Hazel workflows to share with your Mac Power user host. How cool is that? Yeah. I, I Listen, I really like this app. I, I'm a big fan of screencasts, as everyone knows. I do 
really kind of serious produced screencasts for some of our software friends and some of my books. But I, I went on an email binge the other night and just like tore through a bunch of Mac power users email. And several questions I had from listeners were like, one was how do you do something in the finder that, and it, I made a nine second screencast and it, did it exactly, you know, you actually define the size of the window, the way the app works is really great. So you can say, I just want to record this little square of the window. So you set it up, you push the button, you do the little nine second task, and then it, you stop the recording and it automatically saves a link to your clipboard. So then I could go to the email and say, just do this and send the, send her the link. And then she had the ability to see a nine second screencast. It was so great. So much faster than trying to describe some of this stuff. Yeah. And it, you're not having to worry about keeping all that storage on your Mac or on your Dropbox or on one of your cloud services. They take care of it for you. I, I just think it's such a great idea. And the listeners of this show in particular are the people that are kind of helping friends and family out. This is going to be so useful to you. I, um, this I'm really excited about this app. I I've already been using the heck out of it, and and some of the listeners out there have probably already got some emails with me with tapes um, uh, connections to it. And the funny thing is, when I send them, I get emails back quite often saying, "I love tapes. I'm going to go buy that now too." <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> yeah, so uh, so go check it out. It's it's really quite good, and and you can get it right in the app store. Like Katie said, they manage the online uh, storage of the file for you, so it's it's quite useful. Yeah. Well, here's where you find out more information. Go to usetapes.com slash Mac. You can see all the information about the app, learn a little more about it, and then there's a link to download it right from the App Store. And as with all these App Store apps, we really appreciate it. If you shoot the developer a note um, and let them know that you heard about their product on Mac Power users, it helps them know that that their advertising on the show is is working. And uh, thanks for their support of, of Mac Power users. All right. Um, Bonnie wrote in, or, or actually Bonnie talked in, about yeah. uh, some things she has a question about. Let's hear that. Can we say she called it? That sounds better to say. I guess that would make more sense, even though we don't have phones. Yes, that's true. But she probably recorded it on her iPhone. Okay, let's hear Bonnie. Okay. Let's hear Bonnie. Hi, David and Katie. This spring, I'll be taking a course and working a lot more often with PDF files. So on your recommendation, I recently bought PDF Pen for Mac and iOS do you have any advice on workflow for PDF files? What are the best ways to sync them between computer and devices and the best ways to keep them organized? Do you always open them using PDF pen even for reading or only pull that out as a big gun when you need to modify a document? Thanks. I love these audio comments. I, I like just, the way she said big gun. That was like, I know. that was kind of badass. Um, you know, I should, I should put sound effects in here. Yeah. Well, we're getting the there. Top. We're going to get better okay. at this. <laughs> we're definitely going to get better at this. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so that that's an interesting question. For me, I use uh, nested folders quite often for organizing documents, as you know, I have famously talked about and written about and won't stop talking about. But uh, I also have the most commonly used files that I keep in iCloud. And because PDF Pen... Uh, shares them seamlessly between the Mac and the iPad and the iPhone, I find that really useful. So if I was in a class and there was a high volume of PDFs, I may put a bunch of them into a nested folder on Dropbox 
or or transporter. But if I was not going to be doing that stuff, I would probably, you know, I would assume a class probably has a neighborhood of like 20 PDFs associated with it. I would just make an iCloud folder for that class. And PDF pin does allow you to keep like folders full of PDFs in the iCloud uh, directory. And that way you could always go through them. Um, Yeah. I tend, I tend to put, keep active documents in iCloud or things that I'm I'm working on or things that I reference frequently in iCloud and I tend to use Dropbox for longer term storage or things that are accessed less frequency for yeah. frequently yeah and in answer to her question which app do I use to review them in uh, once again I mean I'm going to sound like a you know, a guy who can't get over it, but I, I like PDF pen. It just works. It's got good annotation tools. I can do the OCR right in the application. So that's the app of choice for this stuff for me. Well, I'll, keeping kind of, oh, go ahead. Previews come a long way though. I think, I mean, it's a lot better than it used to be on the Mac. Yeah. But PDF pen gives you so many more options in terms yeah. of editing and annotating and highlighting. And I think if you're, you're using this for a class, um, you may want to get a, a simple stylus and, you know, the Evernote stylus or one of the Jot styluses or something like that, just for the ability, if this is more reference material, to be able to highlight. Yeah. And that's, I have a Jot stylus. Actually, I have two now. Uh, I, I bought, uh, before they had the Jot Touch, I bought one at Macworld one year. And I keep that in my drawer at, at work. So it's always like really handy. Then I have the Touch that I can take with me. That's the fancy one. But, the main thing I do with PDFs is highlight them more than anything else. And it's really nice being able to do that right on the app. And there's something about, uh, for me, I don't know, is just getting off of my desk to review documents. It it feels good to do that. So I have a a little standing desk in the office and I sit up there with the iPad and spend a lot of my time going through those PDFs. Well, good luck, Bonnie, with your uh, going back to school. Yeah. Uh, And speaking about that, let's hear from Ed. Hey, David. Hi, Katie Floyd. This is Ed from Evanston. After 25 years of being out of college, I'm going to go back to grad school this summer. And uh, I already own a Mac Mini. I'm not really interested in buying a, a laptop. However, I would like to get an iPad. And I was wondering if you could give me some advice on the best apps to put on it and the best workflows for being a graduate student with an iPad. Thanks. Uh, Love the show. And I'm looking forward to hearing your answer. Take care. I would like the challenge to go to school with just an iPad. I think that would be a place where it would be very doable. We may hear from some, some students that say that's crazy that they want their, their MacBook air. But for a lot of the stuff I did in school, man, an iPad would have been great. Uh, I want to hear back from Ed in a year or so and hear how it's going. Yeah, Please definitely. Uh, th- th- there were there are some pieces I would get though. Definitely, I think I would get a keyboard because if you're going to yes, be sitting I in class, too. you're going to need a way to put text in without talking and you know relatively silently. And if you're a typist, I, I guess that's the question: Are you a typist or not? Ed? because if you're a typist, you're going to want a, key- a real keyboard. Um, lately, I bought uh, there was on sale Logitech iPad keyboard was on sale recently at on Amazon, so I bought one. 
and I got it for like 50 bucks and that's about all they, they cost now. It's kind of an interesting keyboard. It's not one that turns into a case or anything. It's literally a separate keyboard kind of along the lines of the Apple Bluetooth keyboard, but it has a nice plastic case that it slides in. So you're not going to knock keys off. It has a physical on and off button. So, you know, when it's on and when it's off and it's a pretty good feeling keyboard. I've been using that. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Size wise, how does it compare to, um, I know you have, is it the K760, the solar keyboard? It's bigger than that. It's okay. bigger than that. It's, it's, it feels like a full size keyboard, but I keep it in my trunk in a bag. And then whenever I'm out anywhere and I need to, to use a keyboard, I use it. And it, you know, it puts bad, it uses batteries. It doesn't use a USB cord to recharge. It's just kind of, it's a very kind of like lunch pail style keyboard that, that gets the work done. But, you know, whatever you need, I think Ed should probably look at, at one of the keyboards. I think you should yeah, also... Yeah, I, I would look at... Um, your keyboard may be fine. I would just... Other keyboards I would look at, just the ones I've used. There's the K760, which I think you have. It's, it's the Logitech keyboard. It's a solar keyboard. Now yeah, you're probably, I use that, I use that you're, at home. You're probably going to want to buy a separate cover for that, which is going to get the price up maybe over the $50. But that has the ability to control multiple devices. And I like it because it's solar. You're not going to get into a situation where, shoot, I forgot to recharge the batteries, and now I can't use it. But I'm also liking um, the looks of the Logitech K811, which has the same type of keyboard, because I really like the feel of the K760. So the Logitech K811 is the same keyboard as the K760, but it doesn't have the solar panel. Instead, it recharges um, by a USB cable. So it, it, it does have the battery issue, but it's a good bit smaller, and it has backlit keyboards, or backlit keys, rather. Well, it's, a, like- it's, it's a bit more expensive, though. It's, it's about $90 right now. The 760, the solar one, is great. I have it on my iMac at home. And because it can run three different Bluetooth devices, I've got it paired to my phone and my iPad. So I'm always like, that's the one I bang around the house with. So if I'm going to sit you know, at the kitchen table and type into my iPad, I'll be using that one. And then I leave the, the other one in my trunk. So it, it works out for me. But either way, Ed needs a, a keyboard. Uh, another thing I would consider, and the iPads do get a lot of battery life, but if you're really going to be relying on it for school, the last thing you want to do is run out of battery. Yeah. So there's some decent uh, external batteries out there. Yeah. You're definitely going to want a case for your iPad. You're going to, depending on the keyboard that you want, you're going to want to look at the different case options because you're definitely going to want a case that's going to prop open your iPad. I would think you would want one that would prop it open either in vertical or horizontal mode because if you've got a separate case, you may want to prop open your iPad in in vertical mode because that may be easier in terms of of reading and scrolling. But you're going to want something that gives you some decent protection just because you're going to be taking it in and out of your bag and, you know, bumping it around a lot and, you know, it's just going to be kind of out there and exposed. Um, Are there any external batteries that you would recommend at this point? Um, I... I like external batteries. I've used a lot of them. At this point, the iPads, it's you're seeing them now that are starting to have that 2.1 amp charger on the external batteries. Yeah. So I would say that if, if you're specifically buying a battery for your iPad, look for one that does have that 2.1 amp charger. And Otherwise, think- your battery's going to charge at such a trickle that it's it's almost not going to be worth it. But now the batteries have pretty good battery life, so you may just want to char- throw an extra charger in your bag and just top it off when you need to. Mo- check out Monoprice and see. I, I don't know if they have any 2.1 amp batteries, but they've got some, you know, they've got like an 800 milliwatt hour battery 
or excuse me, an 8,000 milliwatt battery, it's like 30 bucks. Yeah. So what, what, um, apps would you do on an iPad if you're going to go back to school? Uh, I know one I would definitely start with would be on the outliner because yeah. it just, I, I always worked with outlines when I was in school and I made them by hand or I made them on my little Tandy word processor with eight lines of text uh, Omni outliner would have been just killer back then. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big outliner. So I would go with Omni outliner. You definitely need some kind of word processor. Go ahead and pick up pages. Just be, I mean, it's free and it's got the ability to export to um, word files, which you might need just for compatibility purposes. If you need to share something or turn something in. Another big advantage of pages is that it's iCloud syncing and he's got the uh, Mac mini at home. So he can start writing on his documents and they're going to be everywhere. Yeah, I, and I would assume you're you're going to be connected to some kind of some kind of campus wide network. Depending on how that's set up, you may want to look at one of these VPN type solutions to give you some additional security. It depends on what you're going to be doing on these networks. Um, I use Cloak for that, and you can get a uh, I think a five gigabyte plan for two bucks a month, so it's it's pretty inexpensive. Yeah, or some he, of these- and he could also just get one with LTE in it and just turn it on when he wants to really you know get out to the world. Um, notability is another app I would, I would consider because it allows you to record and simultaneously take notes and then index them together. Yeah. We've talked about that in prior shows. I I just think that's a really great idea and and a good implementation. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would get the PDF pen family, um, and probably text expander too. Um, but I don't believe pages integrates in with text expander. So, um, depending on what you were taking your notes in, you, you might want to, you know, ByWord or something like that. It's got some text expander support. Yeah. I use ByWord for so much. I mean, there's all these great apps out there. At the end of the day, I write uh, so much of my text in ByWord. Uh, I'm really into the mind mapping, and that might be useful to a student. So I, I'm a fan of both MindNode and iThoughts HD. Those are some good apps. And frankly, I think get, getting familiar with Evernote would be a pretty good idea if you were a student. Yeah. Well, Ed, let us know how that goes. And uh, we're very curious to see how an iPad student works out. All right. We figured we'd, uh, you had the idea of wrapping up this show with things that we're struggling with. So before we do that, um, why don't you talk to us about our last sponsor? I'm happy to. And that's 1Password. Uh, 1Password is the secure solution for managing uh, data on your Macs and iPads and iPhones and other devices. Uh, We're realizing that security is increasingly becoming important. I mean, this thing we've had over the last couple of weeks with the Apple SSL flaw, which was kind of remarkable. I was looking online and it looks like there were something like 200 million accounts stolen between the recent Adobe and Sony breaches. And the, the lesson to be learned from all this is that we need our own walls. We can't just rely upon the operating system uh, to manage security for us. We need to build up our own walls around our most important data. And one password is your wall building team because they make these apps that allow you to lock up your most important data in a way that, um, outside applications can't get access to it. And, uh, they create and store strong and unique passwords. They're multi-platform. They work on the Mac, the PC, the iPhone, the iPad. In fact, we, we talked about one password earlier in the show in the security feedback, um, you can sync your data over Dropbox, which is great, or you can sync it over iCloud. So you, you've got it everywhere. And it's 
that's synced in a way, as Katie was saying, that is an encrypted database. It's not just open in the clear. People can't get your data just by getting on Dropbox, for instance. Um, one of the things I really like is the way it autofills passwords for you. So if you're on a website, they've got these plugins for whichever browsers you're in. If you're on the iOS device, they have a browser built right into the application. And to be honest, I spend probably as much time in the 1Password browser on my iOS devices as I do in Safari because it's just so convenient and easy to go in there, log into 1Password, and then go to Amazon or wherever it is I want to go shop and have all that stuff just done for me. Um, it's a really great uh, platform to do all of these things. Uh, one of the tips I wanted to share for people who already have 1Password is updating passwords. Have you had the opportunity to make a new password? And if you have, are you are you saving it as an updated password? Because the application is pretty smart about what websites you're on. So let's say you go to Amazon, you decide you want to make a new password. When you put it in, it opens up a little box and it says, hey, uh, this is a password. Would you like us to create a new one? Or would you like us to update an existing one? So as an example, let's say you're setting up an Amazon account for your significant other. You would save that as a new account and 1Password would track that. And you could say Amazon for Greg. Um, Or alternatively, let's say you're just changing the password on your existing account. Then you just click the box for updating password. And that way you don't have a bunch of extra entries in there. And the only one that exists is the right one. Do you use that feature, Katie, when you're adding all new the, passwords? Yeah. All the time. It's a, it's a great way to go about making, uh, organizing your library of passwords. All of this is done behind the 1Password wall that they build for you. Uh, it's very accessible. You can find it on the Mac App Store for $49.99. And for that price, you're going to be able to install it in all the Macs in your house. So if you have multiple people, it, it really gets cheap to share it around. Uh, if you're on both the Mac and the Windows, they sell a bundle on the website that you can get that gets you both of that. They have an iOS version for 18 bucks, and all of this stuff works together. It just brings you so much relief knowing that you've got your most important passwords locked up behind the 1Password walls. It's an outstanding company made of some really smart people that do nothing but sit around all day and obsess about how to protect your most important data and why not put them on your team. So go check out 1Password. And thanks a lot, 1Password, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. So, David, you had this idea of, of ending the episode with things we are struggling with. And yeah, I mean, we're all geeks, right? We're always yeah. dealing with issues. And and I go through little obsessions on occasion. And um, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about one that I'm in the middle of trying to solve right now. And I'm not even sure it's a problem, but I'm still thinking about it. Um, uh, so we've talked in the show in the past about plain text and how important it is to me. And I've been for years using first, it was notational velocity. And then more recently NV alt, which is kind of a, a it's a, it's a new version of it that Brett Terpstra and some other people worked on to kind of make it even better. And so I've got this NV alt application I've been running forever. And it's a great way to store a bunch of little text files, and I looked, I've got 800 of these text files now. That's a lot, right? It's a few. Yeah. So, and I put so much information into these things. Like, for instance, when I have a conversation with a Mac Power user sponsor and they say, hey, we'd like you to talk about this point. I put a little NV alt note in there that, that keeps a track of that. When I talk to somebody about some kind of problem, I... I 
take a note there. I've even got little notes about some friends that I don't talk to very often. I put a little date stamp in there, and every time we get on the phone, I, I just make a little note about what we talked about, and if there's something I need to follow up. So then when I talk to them again six months later, I can go back and say, oh, yeah, we were talking about this. Where did that end up? So I just have tons and tons of these little notes. I have things in there like an attorney fee clause that I can use in a contract. So if I'm working on something in the day job and someone says, well, we need an attorney fee clause, I'll go pull the standard one I use out of NVAlt. And I really like the application. I sync it uh, with no trouble through Dropbox because it just looks at plain text files. And currently, um, what am I using on my iPad for that? I mean, there's um, a couple different text editors that work with it well. Um, I don't have my iPad in front of me, Katie. Hold on one second. You'd think I would have this all figured out, wouldn't you? Well, this is why it's something you're struggling with. Yeah, well, I'm using an app, which is Notesy. And Notesy's great. And it it syncs just fine with it. Um, One of the problems I have with NVAlt is it does a lot more than I really need. I write the stuff in Markdown, but I don't need to see it preview, to be honest with you. I'll use Brett's other apps to do that. But uh, one issue I have is that I don't like having the NVL window and other screens. Like I re- work a lot on my laptop and I do a lot of full screen stuff and I want to get that data easier. So recently I bought a copy of this app um, called, I think it's Notefile. Are you familiar with this? No, haven't heard it's, of it. It's kind of a new thing out. It's made by the same people that do the delivery status app, June Cloud. Oh, I love them. Okay, so they have an app called Notefile, and it works on both the Mac and the iPad and the iPhone. It syncs, it does a lot, it's very similar to NVAlt in the sense that it's a bunch of little text files. It's uh, graphically very attractive, but one of the things I really like about it is it's in the menu bar, and it does a little drop-down. So on the Mac, you can be in a full-screen app and just hit the drop-down and have access to your Notefile data. And then, you know, copy it out of there's plain text and put it into a pages document or a Word document or wherever you're working. Uh, overall, I, I kind of like the experience with it. It syncs not through Dropbox, but through through the June Cloud or the um Yeah, they have their iCloud. own sync service, right? Yeah, but they also have an iCloud sync if you want. And I've been playing with this app. I kind of like it. And I like the fact the fact that it's up in the menu bar actually makes it easier for me to get to the data. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not as powerful as in Alt, but it may be, I'm just looking for something different. You know how you go through that once in a while. Uh, but the idea of putting 800 notes into a separate application is very daunting. And I'm not sure if I'm actually going to stick with it or not. But uh, for now, I've been running a test with it. I've got 20 notes in it. And there are some things I like about it. Um, I I don't know how it's going to handle 800 notes. That's another concern, frankly, that I have is if I put that many notes in it, is it going to start breaking? You know, some applications have a little trouble when you put that much data into them. But it's something I'm struggling with right now in terms of do I want to replace NVAlt with something like this? Um, Do I want to put this data in iCloud or am I more comfortable with it in Dropbox? And uh, I don't I don't really have the answer today, but it's it's kind of fun playing with this stuff. Well, one of the things that I've been struggling with recently is email. And yeah, maybe I should just read your book again. But uh, my, my issues kind of resolve back around this issue of of having, we, we touched on it on the email show we talked about. And the way that I had previously done things 
is for every client matter that I was working on, I created a separate folder and then I would put emails related to those client matters in those folders. And then when I was done with a particular project, I would move that folder to an archive. And what would happen from a practical standpoint is anytime I went to file something on the Mac, it was manageable, but on iOS in particular, I would have hundreds, maybe not hundreds, but a hundred folders that I would have to manage through and figure out where I wanted to actually file something. Yeah, what a mess, huh? And it was seldom to never that I actually went into those archive folders. Although I do pretty frequently go into those active folders. But I would say at, at any given time, the the truly active folders I have are are maybe a dozen. And what I was really struggling with is what to do with those archive folders. I wanted, and I have used email archiving solutions like you know Mail Steward, and I still do. But that's great for me, Katie Floyd, you know the Mac Power user. I really needed something in a more you know quote unquote you know friendly format because if those emails were ever needed in the future, you know nobody's going to be able to go into my mail steward database and find it, even though those are those are normal formats. I, I needed something that was more workable for the muggles, I guess. So what I ended up doing, and I think you had actually recommended this application on on the show. Let me guess. Is, let me guess. Email archiver. I picked up email archiver. Yeah, great application. Now, it, it didn't exactly do what I wanted, and I think I'm going to try to get Hazel to, but it, it did about as close as it could. So I think I'm going to try to get Hazel to clean this up. But what I was previously doing before Email Archiver is I would try to pick a couple of folders a day, select all, and then print to PDF, and then save that PDF in the client folder. But it was just, and then I tried to automate that with Keyboard Maestro, and I, I got it down, but it was still taking many, many strokes and a lot of time to get all these folders and it was going to take me, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours to archive all these emails that in all likelihood I would never need again. But if I did need them again, it would be a big deal. So what I did is the first thing I did is I went back and I made sure I had a really good um, mail steward archive of all my emails. And, you know, just so I had those for me in case something wonky happened. And then I used mail steward or excuse me, email archiver. Yes. To, to make, I created an email archive folder and I made the mails, uh, email archiver folder. And what email archiver does is it goes through a folder structure in your email application and it turns all of your email files, which are, which are like .emlx files, I think, and it turns them into PDFs. Yeah. It's a little wonky in the format that it does it because it preserves the same formatting structure that Apple Mail uses. You know, so for example, in the Smith folder, I may have a 2013 folder and then I'll have folders for every month of the year. So I'll have a two folder for February and a three folder for March and a four folder for April. And then sometimes you'll have folders corresponding to the day and then the email messages will be inside that. And ideally what I would have liked to end up with is just one PDF of all of the emails but at least I've got all those emails preserved and I've got them all as PDFs. And so once I knew I had all those emails, number one, both saved in Mail Steward, and number two, both saved in PDF and Email Archiver, I took all of those emails and I just dumped them into an archive folder in my my email application. Feels and good, I said, huh? I said, bye bye. Um, you know, another option to consider would be Eagle Filer. Um, I don't know if that's that made work. by the Spam Steve guys. Yeah, I don't know if it would work with your your coworkers, but Eagle Filer has a 
a kind of a good way to save uh, email folders off as projects, which is something I may need to put that into an update because it's a, it's a good solution too. I, I don't know. I don't think there's an easy one and it gets really difficult when you have to work with other people. Yeah. And that was my thing is, is if it, if at some point I left and it became an issue after I left, I needed them to be able to get these emails in an easy way. Um, I don't anticipate it being an issue, but if it is, what I, what I'm not sure that I'm going to do, and this is the, the piece that I'm a little bit still struggling with is what I'm going to do with all those email archiver files. You know, option one is just leave them. And if I don't need them, I never need them. And if I do need them, you know, then they'll just have to dig through a couple of folder, different folder levels and find what they need. Because the email archiver files, they're pretty well organized. You just got to dig through some stuff. See, um, the, I look at that as an advantage. The fact that each email is a separate PDF means that you can take each one individually. You don't have to take the whole pile. And uh, yeah. I know you can export easily enough from uh, a PDF, but I do like the idea that each one is its own individual PDF. But yeah, it just I may, depends on I what you're tr- using it for. I may try to use Hazel just to clean up those folders a little bit so that yeah. every email is in one folder as opposed to five different levels of folders. Hazel could completely do that job for you. Yeah. Or Automator could do. as well. Yeah. What I think I'm going to do going forward is I think I'm going to keep the dozen or so folders, and I know that makes you cringe, for my active projects, and I'm not going to have an archive anymore. I mean, if, if a project is truly active, I'm going to have a folder for it. But as soon as I close that file or would otherwise archive that project, then I'm just going to be very aggressive about it at the time that I do it. Then those emails get PDF'd and archived. And then those, those you know, as long as I stay on top of it as I do it, I'm not going to end up in this situation again. But I just had to clear the slate somehow. Well, first of all, that doesn't make me cringe because I, I get it. Email is so hard and people have so many different needs uh, there is no single simple solution. So I get it. Uh, Katie, I think we did David. okay. You know, the, the goal with the show was to kind of deal with feedback and get more interaction with some of the listeners. We did okay on the first problem. We, we got a ton of great feedback out. On the second one, we got some audio comments. We're going to have a bunch more next time. Uh, next time, next month on whatever. I think it's going to be April 6th, if memory serves. Um, we are going to have a April working, 5th. April 5th. We're going to have a working chat room. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll Sorry be about better. That. And I've also got some ideas. I think we're going to have a listener or two on and do just a little like mini interviews with them too. So, uh, everybody, thanks for hanging in with us as we yeah, kind of kinda explore like, this. Sorry. Kind of like we did on show one hundred and one fifty, right? Kind of mini. Yeah. Mini work pleasures. So if you've got a proposal for that, drop us a line and let us know that that's something you want to do and that you're available on April 5th or one of the other first Saturdays of the month. And, and we'll take that into consideration and potentially put you on the list. But in the meantime, if you've got an audio comment, just like uh, Bonnie or Ed or, or Marcus did, send that to us as well. And, and we're really yeah. going to be trying to do feedback better on our show through this once a month show. So once a month show. So if you have something you want to share, you know, open up your iPhone and just record it and email it to us because we'd much rather do that than have a, you know, have to read off what your email said. I think it's much more fun hearing from people. So send those in and everybody next month we'll be doing this again. And thanks so much for, you know, kind of dealing with this as we figure it out ourselves. Thanks to our sponsors for today's show, OmniFocus, Tapes, 1Password and Pixelmator. And we will see you all. Well, I guess where will you find us, Katie? I forgot to talk about all that stuff. <laughs> you did. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode at our website, MacPowerUsers.com, or at the 5 by 5 website at 5x5.tv slash MPU. And uh, thanks to Hay Osborne for uh, his help with, with the show notes. 
And you can send us email to feedback at macpowerusers.com. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Max Barkey. Katie's at Katie Floyd. And we are at Mac Power Users. All right. We'll see you back uh, in just a couple of days, actually, with our regularly scheduled program. And we'll see you next month for Mac Power Users Live. Thanks for listening. <laughs>